Welcome to The Originals, a podcast dedicated to stories of those who make and do original things. Here we are in one of our more unique podcasts for No Coast Originals, The Originals. Um, I've said far too many times that we've had someone on our show who is truly an original in what they did, but none of them are going to compare to our guest today. Uh, <laughs> our first lady on the podcast, Ooh. I might say. Nice. And allow me to introduce uh, to our audience one of the great originals from, from St. Louis, the Midwest, just in life in general, Charlotte sometimes. I am smiling from ear to ear. What an introduction. Thank you so much. I didn't even get close to all the stuff you want. <laughs> Hey, I was just trying to work my way to your name. <laughs> That's good. Normally they're trying to work their way into my pants. So I appreciate this. This is good. Well, and 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 Charlotte is a an extremely well-known burlesque performer, drag performer, all-around performer in the St. Louis area. But the way you got there and your story mm-hmm. of coming to this place as a performer is the thing that got us introduced. Mm-hmm. and uh, has made us just fascinated with you, your life, and the, and the people around you. And, and I know you know that. So, well, just for the audience, why don't you just give us a, give us a quick introduction to sure. Charlotte and how you, because that's your stage name, and how you became Charlotte. <laughs> well, what I like to say on stage is I'm the oldest burlesque entertainer in St. Louis, not because of the years of experience, because I'm damn old for what I do. You know, your typical performer is going to be probably 22 and really young, that young. Which, oh right, they get in very young because they're still they, their bodies still move and work properly. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're young, you don't mind being uncomfortable. This is not a high-paying life that we're living yeah, here. True, true. Right, right, right. And so, what got me to this point? was just, you know, I was an unconventional woman leading a conventional life, raised in the Midwest with the ultimate Midwestern mother, Marge, Marge in charge, right? Who was the kind of woman who made me want to achieve my dreams. One, because she never did. And growing up watching that, seeing this dynamic woman who passed opportunities by because she, that's just how you did it then. Right. And she wanted to be with her family and she gave everything to us. So watching that and then her words saying, you can do anything, you're talented, you've got it. But we're, we were in this small country town and to be this unusual little flower in a place where you have to conform, it just didn't work at all for me and it brought me down. And so I think maybe if I had been raised somewhere else, I could have been more. We can get into that another time. But so I, I kind of listened to all my surroundings and I went a more conventional path in life. Uh, met the right guy, tried to have all the right kids, ran into issues with that, got derailed from that dream. Um, so I gave up everything so I could pursue motherhood, thinking about you know my mom and what an ultimate mom she was and what a role model she was to me. And it took about 10 years for us to achieve our dream of becoming parents. So until that point, I dabbled a little here and there. I worked in voiceovers, in radio, tried to get into TV production, had the degree in media, 
but I was always the one, the crazy one who wanted to be in front of the camera or on the microphone. And let's face it, St. Louis, Missouri, how are you going to do that? Right. You know, it's not going to work unless you want to be on the news. And I, I'm not meant for that right. whatsoever. Right. I'd get fired my first day. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, I had the guy that made enough money that I could just pursue the motherhood and then, you know, doing a little voiceovers here and there. So I had lost all my mojo. I'd lost my, my body, my brain, everything, because it was so hard to achieve and keep a pregnancy. And then suddenly there were all these children at once. Uh, they got a little older and I started feeling it again. I started feeling that urge to get back out there and create beyond creating children. Let's get creative in the world. Let's see. If, if, is it too late? Is it too late for me to pursue my dreams? And you're kind of like a, are you a one woman therapy group at this time? Are you having all this talk with yourself? <laughs> yeah. Or I were was. there other people where you were all around each other going, oh, we're stuck. We need to find a way out. Or was it just you just knowing this? No, everybody was so happy being stay at home moms. Yeah. Or so they said right, right, they right. were. Uh, later come to find out they were just as confused and isolated as I felt at the time. Uh, but you, when you are a new mother, you feel ashamed to admit that. You've got to be the warrior. You've got to be the ultimate mommy. But no, I was. it was in my head and I was thinking, I was just getting fed up with even entertainment that was geared toward moms at the time. There was this movement to be the mom who you have a baby, the next day you put on your black cocktail dress and you get out there and run the world. And you have your, you know, $2,000 stroller and you're living that kind of life. And I didn't relate. So here I am, this new confused mom, and there was no media for me to turn to to find someone who was just like me. You know, you're covered in poop. <laughs> you're exhausted. Yeah. I wanted to laugh about it. I wanted to say, look, this is ridiculous. This whole thing is ridiculous. Please laugh our way through because I was crying all the time. So I started just, you know, at the time picking up, we, we had video cameras. Remember the video cameras, the oh, yeah. camcorders of the time? Mm -hmm. And I went to my backyard and I set it on a tripod and I started talking to it. And I started making videos, funny videos about Midwestern motherhood. And my husband at the time knew how to edit them together. And we made these funny videos and we put them up on YouTube. And this was way in the beginning before there was the YouTube star. Right. And that got noticed. And the next thing you know, I'm getting an invitation to go out to LA and meet with people to talk about, is there something with you as this Midwestern mom? And maybe we can compare you to a Hollywood mom and contrast and compare, and isn't this interesting? And I went, that, and suddenly that, that became my life. I'm going back and forth to LA and I'm thinking, okay, Maybe the dreams aren't going to come true. Maybe there's something with this that I can inspire other moms. But you know, as well as I know, that that world, I mean, it's like winning the lottery. You know, you get it, if you get that discovered and you're on the air and that's the route you take, awesome, good for you. It happens. It did not happen to me. Right. Right. Doesn't happen for most people, and they're all really interesting and talented people. Right. There's so <laughs> many people who were just like me. You know, right. you get back home and you, you get the big no, the phone stops ringing, and you think, ugh, what now? And at that time, what I did was I pretty much just fell apart. Because again, you know, in St. Louis, we don't know. We're so isolated from the entertainment industry. And I always said that in a way it's good 
because you don't know. You don't know how hard it is. You're just a dreamer. Right. And you haven't been smacked down yet. Well, that was my first smackdown, and I took it hard. And there was no one there to lift me up to say, no, you have to keep going. In my head, that was it. I had one shot. It was done. What am I going to do now? Right? Right. So I had, you know, like the baby on one hip, the baby on the other hip, the three-year-old running around. And I'm like, you know what? I, I need to go out. I need to just go have a night out and feel young again because I'm not a good mom. I'm too depressed. I have no career. I suck. <laughs> just right, right, all right, these yeah. horrible self-sabotaging um, dialogue in my brain. So I went to a burlesque show just on a whim with a friend and I dressed up and wore something unusually sexy for myself and I watched the show. And out came this plus-sized burlesque entertainer. She was their headliner, and she killed it. She brought the house down, and I've never seen anything sexier. And I looked at her, and I thought, oh, hello. I think I just found something here. So it went that, that night you knew? It that hit night, you and you knew? It knew, because I always thought, oh, it's just for these you know young, perfectly right, shaped right. girls. But that woman and the way she was, she was me. I'm like, that's it. That's who I really am. That dancer right there. I want to feel and be as confident as this woman was on stage. How do I get that back? Maybe I just try doing burlesque. Maybe this is it. This bucket list item that I didn't even know. some dice. (laughs) Right? Well, I'd add some cocktails. So I walked up to the producer. It's unusual to have a man who's produced, especially in St. Louis, it's female, a lot female controlled burlesque. And here's this guy with his long hair and his big bushy beard and his cigar. And I thought, oh, my God, look at this character right there. And I walked up and I said, hey, how do you get into one of your shows? And he said, do you have experience? And I said, well, yeah, I do. Because he didn't ask him what. Hell, yeah, I've got experience. He's like, all right, put something together. Come back in three weeks. We'll put you up on stage. And I'm like, that's it. Yeah. And I was just drunk enough at the time that I thought, I'm going to do this. Then the next morning, sobered up and went, oh, what the hell have I done? But I did it. I put together a routine, and I got up on stage, and I and I was like that girl I saw before. I just I brought the house How down. How terrifying was it? Or was it at all? Oh, it was horrible. And I, I've had stage experience. Yeah, I've been yeah. in theater my whole life, but nothing quite prepares you for the vulnerability of stripping you're showing your body to strangers, especially when you're older and you don't have a conventional body type. You know, right. as someone who's a size 18 has had babies. Nothing is where it is still supposed to be when you're a stripper. But burlesque isn't about that. No. No. It is about the confidence of all shapes, all the sizes, all the backgrounds. It is the art form. It's much smarter, much more wit. I mean, it's, sure it is. It's an art. It is. It's satire. It's yes, all yes. of the above. And yes. that was me on stage. The theme was bu- buxom bumpkins. <laughs> and I put together an eight-minute medley. Who did I think I was? That's like a headliner thing, right there. You don't. You don't do that. And I'm prancing around in my undecorated Walmart lingerie, having no idea what the hell I was doing, but just thinking, I'm never going to do this again, so let's go for it, and let's go hard. And then, you know, all the standing ovation, and these women approached and said, you know, we're starting a burlesque troupe, we want you in the troupe, and then off and running. That's where it all began, was that dare that I had. What's that that time period? You... You did, and I don't mean what year it was. It was mm-hmm. okay. You went out. You, you you did the burlesque. You three weeks later, you get your chance to do a show, and now you're a troop. How long is that? What is that? Months. That was one month. 
One month. <laughs> it happened so fast. So One month. fast. Wow. And most of that time was taken up just me preparing to get on stage and, and teach myself. Even though in St. Louis we did have a burlesque school, uh, there wasn't enough time to get me ready to actually perform. I didn't go the right route. I don't recommend this route to anyone. There's so much to learn to be to represent the art properly, but I had enough stage experience to make up for it. So uh, at that point, then I'm I'm in a troupe, and then found out that I don't work well with others in that environment because I like to be in control. I like to be the boss. I wanted to be on the microphone. I wanted to be. I don't know what was going on with me. I guess I went from, you know, I'm invisible, the invisible stay-at-home mom who lost her TV contract to here we go. Now I'm out there. People know my name. Let's go. <laughs> and it really wasn't the healthiest time of my life. I didn't handle it very well at that time. That was about seven years ago, by the way, yeah. not too long ago. <laughs> um, then one night I was, you know, I was getting fed up because to be booked as a soloist, I wasn't being taken seriously. Nobody wanted the old fat girl in her shows. So I uh, got mad one night, went to a drag show. And that's when everything changed. That's when the picture became clear. And I saw those queens get on stage, all their different sizes in the pageantry, and people like literally screaming for them like they were rock stars. And I went, that. Now that is how it should feel, because that's how I feel inside. I want that kind of reaction. And it was all ego-driven, of course. <laughs> and there are no biological females in drag. Well, there are, actually. There are. And, and that was the thing. At the time in St. Louis... There were quite a few of them called bio queens or faux queens, hyper queens, cisgendered women who make themselves up exactly like drag queens. There's special things gluing down the eyebrows, uh, wearing the big wigs, some of them even putting padding on. So this was going on This then. was happening and they get up in lip sync. And this one club that I went to, those ladies were up there as well within the mix of the kings and the queens. And I'm watching the show, and what I'm thinking is, these people need to strip. <laughs> this needs to become a burlesque show right here. And at the time in St. Louis, draglesque was not happening. And I went, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to start one. So I went up to the owner of the club and asked for a meeting, got the meeting, pitched the idea, got the show. Uh, my idea was drag kings, male impersonators, and the queens, the female impersonators, and the burlesque girls. One show, one theme, everybody strips. And we debuted to over 300 people packed And had this, this ever been done before? Not to the extent that I was doing it. Not a full show dedicated entirely to draglesque. And not with someone out of burlesque. As wrangling it, wrangling producing it, it, producing it, and really. producing it in a drag club. I mean, this was all drag club, and right. and geared for younger people too, eighteen and up. So about the eighteen to twenty five demographic in this club. So I thought these kids are going to be open minded to it, and everyone doubted it. You know, even the performers said this is not going to work. So we ran for four years, once a month for four years, and the smallest crowd ever was 350. We would pack 800 people in there. We would have lines around the block every single month. I would just walk in and the crowd would erupt just me walking back to the dressing room. I mean, that I went from housewife to now everybody knows who I am. So now in this pretty rich subculture, you're a celebrity. Right, and that, uh, <laughs> wow, did that mess up my world. 
Uh, you think you want that, right? You think, oh, yeah, would it be great if everyone knew who I was? And they take me seriously. Now yeah. I'm a success. Now everyone will listen to me. Oh, it's the opposite. It's not always like that, it's is not, it? It's <laughs> not. No, it's not. It took a toll on my entire world. I had to learn how to be a celebrity. And I hate, like, I say that word and I cringe now to say that because I just don't, I don't see myself that way anymore. I just see myself, I, I got lucky I got really lucky. I was right place, right time, the right community, the right generation, and I just gave them something that they connected with because every show, they got a message of positivity. They got that positivity. They got that LGBTQ, etc. acceptance. Uh, I had trans performers up there proudly stripping. Like We just broke so many barriers and brought so much attention to the community and the sexiness and diversity that we have. It was groundbreaking for St. Louis. Wasn't it just groundbreaking across the country? It just isn't it just to me it's the thing that when we first said that's so fascinating about it is this is going on in St. Louis. Yes. And people in New York and LA or wherever, they would never guess this. No, we would have visitors from the coast come in and request to speak to me after and say, our minds are blown. We've never seen anything we've traveled. And of course, people are doing this, but not the way you're doing it with this whole Mama Charlotte thing and messages and just loving this audience. And suddenly I found myself not only with my little kids at home, but a whole collection of children who were my drag entertainers, my burlesque entertainers and audience members. This connection was being made and it was it was emotionally very difficult for me. You know, it's so exposing. There's so many, we could do a whole show just about that, just how psychologically, how it just altered my mind and my entire life. For the better, I, I mean, I still don't, I don't know. Now, here I am on a completely different side of it with the career, and I'm sort of looking back at it. I do miss that. The show does not, it's not in production anymore. Right. I miss the connection with those young people. But now I've moved on in my career. Now I'm being hired at venues that have more, I, and I hate to even say the word high-end productions because they're all valid. Anyone who has the balls to get on stage and do this, I salute, I praise. Yeah, but some people have better audio and lights. Okay, there okay. you go. I'll give you that. Sure, I'll, no, right? I'll give you that. You know, I'm all about that indie producer, rah, rah, rah. But yeah, it is kind of nice, and when your paycheck goes up, it's nice there, yeah. too. Yeah, and it's nice right. to have someone running a board that knows mm-hmm. what they're doing, and mm-hmm. stuff, right? I mean, right, yeah, so. right. That changed right. for me. And so I, I found, and, and I had to leave the industry for it to change. I just got so fed up with the politics and this peer controlled industry you know you're whether you're a success or not a lot of it is determined by your peers and that is so oh, you can just imagine how rough oh i can't be. imagine like drag queens arguing over what they want to do that oh, to you, me is just like right who gets the that's parts? like world war 4 to me oh. I, I can't even conceive of it <laughs> no no it, yeah that's very difficult and imagine being the cisgendered woman trying to navigate herself through that when you have right. people who are so resentful who've been doing it for years and suddenly this housewife comes out of nowhere and has a hit show and everybody's talking about her and everybody's going to it and they're scared to schedule their shows that same night because they know they'll lose the audience to my show so yeah it was it was something and we'll be back with our interview in just a minute But if you are or know someone who is truly an original and have interest on being a guest on our show, shoot us a note 
podcast at nocoastoriginals.com. Make sure to check us out on Instagram and follow our feed for pictures of our guests and other stuff we find originally cool. And now we return to our interview on No Coast Originals, The Originals. So where I am now, my audiences are women, 40s, 50s, um, women my age. And what types of shows are these now? These are, well, for some, I am just the MC. I walk in and it's a burlesque show. Okay. I'm just the MC. But the way the MC is set up, she's she's the star. She's the front woman. Okay. She logs all the stage time. She does, I mean, everything falls on her. The other shows I'm doing, I am producer. There is drag. I have to have my beloved drag queens. I, I mean, our love hate for each other is so strong. But there's also burlesque. It's variety. But they're in venues that attract an older crowd with money. Or they attract the curious. They've never been out. These aren't club kids like I had before. Right. So everything about the way I deliver myself on stage, my look, my shtick had to change. But the message remained the same. The message. And what I found now, what it suddenly woke up and realized is that no matter what, we all need reassurance we all need this positivity. We all need someone to tell us, hey, you know what? I think you're all right. You're a-okay. And so that's how I end all my shows is, and imagine in a burlesque show and you're thinking, oh, it's just uh, kind of scandalous and sexy, but you have a woman up there who's doing motivational speaking, speaking. Right? Yeah, right, right, and right, they right? And they're letting me do it at first. I thought, oh, I'm going to get canned for this, but they want it. When I don't do it, they come to me and say, "What? why weren't you talking about that at the end? Because that'll get a standing ovation. That'll get people nearly in tears. Because you have someone up there saying, I see you. I see you. You're valid. You can do this. And you're beautiful. So are you seeing the early Charlottes out in the audience? Like you, when you first walked into your first one? Definitely. Are now looking at you? And Mm -hmm. you're on the other side of it now? Yes, and I know exactly what they're going through. And I relate. And I feel when I do these shows, I mean, I love being on stage. I love making people laugh. There's no greater high than that. But after when I talk to them and we hug and some of them begin to cry and they want to tell me their stories and I want to hear them and I want to encourage them. If I can have them walk away feeling uplifted, like the night I left that bar when I asked for that burlesque yes. job and got it, if I can give them that feeling that, hey, there's there's something out there for you, maybe more than what you think you can achieve, uh, there's no feeling like it in the world. And and this isn't a rarity. This like happens often for you. Every show now. Every show. Every that is no exaggeration. Every single show. One place where I frequent on stage gets mostly females in the audience. And that's that's great to see women supporting other women up on stage. You know, I always say burlesque is yes, all women, and we do represent the various shapes and sizes in that show, which I'm quite fond of. Oh gosh, seeing them come in and they're they're shy, they're kind of held back, they're being tourists in this world, and I say I am your tour guide through this glittery, sexy world, but it's so much more than that, and I'm going to make you not only leave loving burlesque but yourselves at the same time. So there is, I I try so hard because I know what that feels like. I know exactly what they feel like. And that connection after, 
when they leave, I feel sad. I wanted to keep going. I want to do more for these women. There's more I can do. I just know it. I want to reach them better. Do you see uh, um, any of the same people again? Do they come to other shows? Do they like come back? They do. We connect on social media. Oh, um, nice. Yes. So you'll do that. You'll, yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. I give it out. I stay after. We do that. We follow each other. I follow their stories. I gain inspiration from them. Some of these women um, have only seen one show six years ago, and they're still in touch with me. They still write to me. They're still connected to me. Wow. And that's a beauty. It just happened this morning. You know, morning. you just don't expect that coming out of burlesque. No, right? you don't. No, no. You know, that's the real curveball to me when we were talking about this was I just saw it as like a party, a celebration, a let loose, just a real bon vivant time. Mm -hmm. Never in my life that I imagined that it was some sort of life affirming point of connection for anybody. No. You know? And and here this is happening every show. Yeah, right here in St. Louis. Right here in St. Louis. And this happens at the drag show too, right? It does. Because having a woman and this is so rare. I think if you look all around the country, is there a cisgendered, middle-aged, stay-at-home mom producing and hosting drag shows? Uh-uh. If you find another one just like me, tell me. I need to know her because I feel very lost and alone in that world. But I get away with it, and I'm respected by these queens because I respect their art form so much. I don't tell them how to do it. I lift them up. They are my stars. They are my beauties. Uh, I am not the star of any of these shows, and I don't want to be. The show is the star. Every cast member in there is a star, and my audience is the, they are the most important people there. We exist to please them, to give them a damn good time. That, when you do my show, you need to understand that, and we're all equals in this. Uh, but my queens, I, I just, I'm so in love with drag. I always say I'm the biggest drag hag in the world. <laughs> And all of my costuming... My Hashtag hair. drag hack. Yep, that's it. Right here. <laughs> right, this is it. And then you would see a little reference picture and it would be It'd me. Be you. So yeah. Right. All of the, I had troubles getting hired in burlesque because I performed like a drag queen. I want to lip sync. I want to do the exaggerated makeup, hair, body, all of that. Right. That was not... I was told, you have to knock that off. We don't do that in burlesque. And I hated it. Like, ugh, no, please, just let me be an artist. Let me do my own thing. But hey, that's the director, and that's what they want. And that's part of why I started my shows. One, I would always have a job. <laughs> and I could, be, I could be on the microphone, which I love. And I could do my art my way. And I can hire all of these out-of-the-box artists that may not get cast in the mainstream shows. But I have a lot of talent and love to give. And so I still do that today. It's more restricted because my audiences demand a certain aesthetic. But you can bet I'm hiring those plus-size queens and those plus-size burlesque girls and people of color and just the mix of all these beautiful humans in one show. And, and now you're here. Good. Right. I mean, there was a time that I was trying to talk people into hiring me. Please, please let me be on your stage. And now I'm turning people down. So, nice place to be. And you know as well as I know, we don't know how long this lasts. It's entertainment. It's feast or famine. Take your foot off the brake. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's here now, so I am in it. I will rest when no one will hire me anymore. Yeah. Done. So, here I am. <laughs> this is it for me. Coming here, seeing you, doing this, 
this is my happy. Uh, this is my downtime. On. This is my escape. This is where I live for. <laughs> come on. If I did this every single damn day, hello, living my best life. Hey, you really. start your own podcast. I should. You really should. <laughs> I really should. You really should. Thanks for coming in. With all due respect to Mr. Yates, the esteemed poet, we believe the center will hold. It is here in the center of America where we find a mindset, ethos, and culture native to the heartland. And it is from here that we scan no coast to no coast for the originals we feature in every show.